airplanes, we were able to stop the, the, the entrance of two bombs into our country. It was a miracle that those two things were discovered, not on a passenger plane, but on a cargo plane. But we know that our nation has been threatened by the world to destroy us. Why? Because we still believe, most of us, in God we trust. There is a remnant. There is a standard. There is a, there's, there's, there's something right that we are still doing. Already we're, we're, we're setting up Christmas decorations. Before Thanksgiving, before Halloween, we're setting up Christmas decorations. And it's the carnal way to celebrate a God. But we realize Christmas as a time when God visited the world and we were all blessed by that visitation. But if that's all you do with that visitation, then you're, you're falling fall short of what God has for you. Today we portrayed a young lady that her heart was broken. She received some bad news and, 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 and she was caught up with grief. But the Bible says he has carried our sorrows and he's borne our griefs. We saw today one that was, that was hindered by arthritis or things that come later in life that we grow accustomed to live with. But because he was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities and the stripes were upon his back for our healing, we can declare boldly that we can be healed. We can do things silly like fall out of a tree and break our wrists and God will still honor our foolishness and heal us. We can be born blind and walk with that blindness and on one special, one special moment, one special encounter, God can come to where we are and heal us. And don't be discouraged if you've been praying for a healing or believing for a healing. The main thing of it is that you're consistent in your approach to God. He that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. God is a rewarder. I was looking at a real sad story in the Bible about a man that 38 years he'd been placed every day by the gate. And one particular day, Peter and James and John walked into the gate and he looked at him and he asked him for money. Been doing that for 38 years, asking for money. And on that day, he got up and walked. What's the point you're trying to make? At least he was consistently sick for 38 years. At, at least he consistently went to somewhere where he could get some kind of help. You cannot keep pushing towards God and the things of God. You cannot keep crying out. You cannot keep searching and researching and studying. You can't keep doing that consistently and not find the favor of God. I'm reminded of another story where Jesus goes to a pool where every once in a while the Holy Ghost came down and stirred the water. It was, um, um, it was miraculous. And as he went, he saw a guy and he said, well, what are you doing here? He said, I've been here for a long time, and every time the water is stirred, someone beats me to it, and I miss my healing. Listen, God has got enough to go around for everybody. Not just can feed the multitude with a little boy's lunch, but have 12 baskets left over to send home with the disciples who didn't have the faith that God could heal the multitude. He honors our ignorance. He honors our stupidity. He, he honors our humanness. All he wants is for us to make some kind of grab some kind to reach towards him and declare to him that we know you now but we would like to know you more and as we search the scripture we find people that that God did not just know and recognize but God extended a special hand of favor towards the difference between grace and favor grace is something that you call and ask God and he provides for you you do not deserve it you did not earn it but there seems to be a consistent pattern of those that pursue, we used to sing a song, if I live a holy life, 
shun the wrong and do the right, I know the Lord will make a way for me. We know by, by faith are we saved that it's not of works lest any man should boast. But I think a little people, a lot of people comp out and say, well, if we get saved by faith and not by works, then we don't have to do anything else our whole life but just love God. I disagree. If you, bear, if you want to barely make it to heaven by the skin of your teeth, I shared with you last week as a child, we would climb over the fence of Disneyland. It was quite a fence. It was about 16 foot high. And we thought it was so cool that we got into Disneyland and we didn't have to pay. Nobody caught us. We got in. But at the gate, you got a book full of tickets that allowed you to ride all the rides. So when you went over the wall, you got in, but not the book. I think a lot of us are in, but we haven't pursued the book. I think that God has things for us that, that he wants us to have. And whatever, whatever date is on a calendar, your name's on it. Last Wednesday night, as, as we shared with you, that God miraculously brought Daryl and Terry to Cleveland and then to Harvest. They left a healthy ministry. They left a great, a great ministry, Strawberry Lake, Minnesota. Maybe they left because winter's coming. It's about to be 30 below. I don't know. But they, but they came to Cleveland. They felt like that God brought them here. Last Wednesday night, through a, prophetic, through a prophetic anointing at a Bible study, we called Terry and, and, and Daryl out and laid hands on their wallet and checkbook. How many, how many saw that? And we declared that, that God was going to give them favor and give them a job. Friday, they go to Chattanooga, and Daryl doesn't just get a, a job. He gets a good job. Somebody, somebody give him. <laughs> we... Uh, Rick, you and I met it at Starbucks a, a, a few days ago, and right before we got ready to leave, I spoke a word over you that said, the best is yet to come. And Rick was sharing with me an opportunity to go to Atlanta, make very good money, but he'd have to leave his family, have to relocate, have to set up. And we just, we just agreed that God would bring something and find something for him. He texts he text me day before yesterday and says, not only a good job, but a job locally right here that he can stay in, in, in the Dalton area and be used of God. Tell me, God, that does not honor and God does not bless the prayers and the faithfulness of his kids go ahead give the Lord a hand clap of praise because you could be in line for a miracle I have yet to pay it forward I have I've, I've thought about it a couple of times at McDonald's I thought about it at Starbucks I thought about Taco Bell but I've never I've never paid it forward I'm afraid that the day I decide to pay it forward there's a church van behind me the 21 kids they're gonna order like $80 worth of food and I make the effort to pay it then I got to pay for it but I <laughs> go ahead give the Lord a hand cup of praise but I believe if I can rejoice in your miracle I believe if I can rejoice in your favor and I can rejoice in what God is doing for you, I believe God in turn will bring it to me. I think a lot of us are looking for favor in the wrong direction. And there are people out there that will suck you dry of all of your efforts to be better. Let me say that again. People will suck you dry in all of their efforts to be better. The Bible said there was a woman 12 years Went to every single doctor she could go to. Went to every single practitioner she could go to. She went to doctor after doctor after doctor. And then she ran out of money. And guess what? The doctors didn't want to see her anymore because she couldn't pay. And so they turned her loose. But she heard that there was a Jesus that if you just got in his presence, if you just got in his shadow, if you just got around a couple of people that were praising him, there were miracles. 
what has changed from that day to this day? How is it that we can get up early on Sunday morning, brush our teeth, do all the things that we do, come to the house of God, worship for 30 minutes, shake everybody's hand, have a good time, and leave not expecting a single thing? He that cometh to God must believe that he is. When we come to the house of God, it's not because just something that our parents do. It's not just something that our, that our friends do. It's something that's important to us. I know people at the end of the road that have lived their life. Some have gone through millions. Some have gone through thousands. Some have gone through absolutely nothing. But at the end of life, they declare, I wish I could have given more. I wish I could have accomplished more. I wish I could have done more. We know there's a date on the tombstone of when you're born, and we know there's a date on the tombstone of when you die. And then there's a hyphen, there's a slash in between. That, that, that little slash tells all that you did for the kingdom and all you did for the things of God. And whether all you do is pay for a little girl's groceries that's in front of you that's obviously having a hard time, or all you do is give somebody a jump with your jumper cables, or all you do is go get a gallon of gas for somebody. If that's all you do, if that's all the doors that you open, expect God to honor that. The littlest things he responds to, the littlest things he gives an account. We looked at the life of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Children that did not have to be where they were. There was a parent that got a word from the Lord. This family is not here today. They've not been here for a long time, so I don't try to figure out who it is. But years ago, I brought a couple to my office. I said, let me tell you something. Children are cruel. Teenagers are cruel. Life is cruel. School is cruel. This young lady was having a challenge with her eating. Her, there was an eating disorder. She was, she was grossly overweight, just at 13, 14 years of age. And I met with this family. I said, listen, I said, if you don't do something now to curb this, to put a, to put a hold on this, you're going to raise up a daughter. It's not going to be fair because the peers at school are cruel. How many of I'm telling the truth? They're, they're, they, they, they say horrible things. They tell fat jokes. They tell skinny jokes. They tell whatever joke they want to. And that couple decided not to heed, not to honor that. And now several years later, because that, that lady, she's married, a family of her own, but she's obese. Why? Because sometimes we don't put into effect the things that we learn now. We put it on the back burner for then. But I believe he's a now God. I believe he's a right. I believe he wants to honor us and bless us right now. So Daniel, Shadrach, and that wasn't even their names, found themselves in a Babylonian camp, found themselves at the time of testing, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And the Bible says the king came up with this idea to build an image, to build a, an image of himself, 70 foot tall. And when the trumpet sounded, everybody was to bow down and was to worship this image. And the Bible tells us there were three guys. I don't know where Daniel was at that time, but there were three guys that refused to bow. And so some people who bowed, watch this. Some people who already compromised with the things of the world found out that they had not Listen, somebody's watching your life. Somebody's watching you. Somebody notices whether you do or do not laugh at a dirty joke. Somebody knows whether you do or do not cheat on your income tax. Somebody knows whether you do or not go the speed limit or abide by the laws of the land. There's a few of us that there's exceptions. Tiffany, Pastor Hank, and Pastor Tim. But the rest of us, we really should abide by the laws of the land. 
But there's somebody that watches all of that. And you know what? When the bottom falls out of their boat, it's not their beer drinking buddies they call. It's not their coke snort buddies they call. It's not their meth, meth smoking people they call. They try to find a real man or woman of God to find out what they can do to better their life to help themselves. I just wish that one day every single Christian wouldn't answer their phone for, for a day and let all these kids think the rapture took place and can't find grandma, can't find grandpa, and can't find Pastor Hank. And then we could, you know, we could say, well, April Fool's, whatever. But people are watching your life. They really are watching your life. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to to bow. And they told the king, and the king brought them in front of him and said, I'm going to crank this furnace up seven times hotter than it's ever been. And if you don't bow, you're going to burn. And and, and let's say it was Shadrach. Shadrach looks at the king, Nebuchadnezzar, and the name Nebuchadnezzar means in the Hebrew, a cracked pot. A cracked pot. So Shadrach more or less said, you cracked pot? Maybe you will, and maybe you won't. Maybe you'll throw us in the furnace, maybe you won't. But our God, who we serve, is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace. Oh, and there's a writer on there. But if he doesn't deliver us, we're still not going to bow. And on that day when the trumpet sounded and the, and the, and the image was brought out, these three dudes refused to bow. They got mad. They tied them up. They went to throw them in the fire. And it was so hot that the king's armor bearers died from the heat from the outside. Throw them in the inside. They said, well, they're crispy critters by now. They look in, and the king saw not just three guys, not bound, walking around, but saw a fourth guy. Now listen, how did he know what Jesus looked like? How did he know what the king of glory looked like? He had watched the life of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These are the boys that said, I will not eat your meat. I will not drink your wine. I will not compromise. Ten days later, they're better than anybody else in the time of testing. The king had his eyes on these kids. And when he saw them in the fiery furnace and saw a fourth one with them, he said, that looks like the Son of God. What do people say about you? Not that you're bald, not that you're skinny, not that you're this, not that you're blunt, but what do they say about you? That is a child, I can see God in you. I can see favor in you. Is that what they're saying about you? Or are we like everybody else? We're just on the roller coaster because everybody's on it. We don't know where it's going to stop. We don't know what's going to happen. We're just going to ride this thing out. There's a lot of pressure right now being put on the youth of America. I really feel like there's something different about this generation. There's just, just a reason why I feel all that. But we have a generation that has become fascinated by electronics. We have a generation, if you will watch your kids, I've been, I've been watching Christine. And yesterday, I would not let Christine take her phone to my parents' house because my mom's all funny about stuff like that. She can't stand it for me to be on the phone. I knew if Christine went and texted that my, my mom would get all upset. So I made Christine leave her phone in the car. And lo and behold, she gets my phone and starts texting. It is, it is a, it's a, it's a magnet. There's something, there's something that's drawing young people to a little computer, a little this, a little that, and they're fascinated by it. What would happen if they got just as fascinated by the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the fact that he was soon coming and they begin to serve him like they really believed it? What would happen? They would become contagious, and you know what would happen? God's favor and mercy would be upon them because they chose to do not the popular thing, not the easy thing, the right thing it it takes a real man a real woman 
to serve God. Anybody can smoke pot. A monkey can take a joint. Now that's not two pieces of wood coming together. An idiot can smoke pot. That's not something you put dirt in. Never mind. (laughs) But when, when when it's going around... When the pressure's going around and, and when the kids, they're, they're who's who and the people are who's who and, and they put you on the spot and, and, there, and there's a, a, you make a decision and you either say, no, I don't, I don't, I don't want to mess with that or you say, oh yeah, I know all about that, give it to me. There's a, there's a war, there's a battle going on for our kids, this generation. But praise God for a generation that has refused to accept the things of the world and believe that there is something better and they're walking in favor and honor. We're watching kids being raised up in the youth group, getting scholarships, free rides, full rides, jobs, doors, God's opening. Why? Because they're choosing to do not the popular thing, but the right thing. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did the right thing. Nehemiah was one of these guys that was captured by the Babylonians. His ability to have children was taken from him. He was declared to be a eunuch, and he was called to serve the king. The job he had was probably one of the most important jobs in the nation. He made sure the food and the wine of the king was not poisoned. He was the one that he tasted everything. He drank everything. He probably had the privilege of telling the cook what he liked to taste. He probably had the privilege of telling the cook what he liked to drink. Every day, two or three times a day, every time the king ate, before he ate, Nehemiah would test it and try it. He was the king's personal servant. He obviously had favor with the king. Every day he was consistent. Every day he was faithful. And you know what's most important to me, Brad, is that every day he had a good attitude. He went to work whether he felt like it or not. Never griped. I'll prove this in a minute. He never griped. He never complained. He never criticized. But every day he, he dressed right, looked right, smelt right, had his hair in place. Was a joy to be around. In the first chapter of Nehemiah, some friends, some relatives come to visit. And his heart towards Jerusalem, he asked, how's home? How's everybody at home? How's, how's the home front? And he was told, it's not good. The walls have been trashed. The gates have been burned. The city lays in waste. And it broke his heart. There are things in life that should break your heart. There are dramas that should break your heart. We cannot get so caught up in the goodness of God that we forget the price that God paid for us to walk in that goodness. There should be moments in our life that we are not all together. There are moments in our life when we catch a glimpse of what somebody did for us that we could live that it should break our heart. There's got to be something more important than TV or texting. There's got to be something more important than retirement or or, or deer hunting. There's got to be something in your life that has the ability from time to time to break your heart. 
The Bible says that the burden of the Lord came to Amos. There's got to be in our life, there's got to be seasons when there is a burden. Nehemiah is doing great. He is living fine on cloud nine. He's eating the upper end of the hog, whatever that means. And they said, hey, the home front, your family, is trashed. And it broke his heart. And it broke his heart to such a degree that he began to fast. He fasted several days. But every day, watch this, Annabelle, not only did he fast, cry, have his heart broken, but every day he went to, to the job on time, good attitude, good countenance, happy, go lucky. Nobody knew anything was wrong. In the second chapter, he decides to allow his countenance to be seen by the king. He allows the king to really see how he feels. In the second chapter, the king says, Nehemiah, what's wrong with you? You have never been upset. You've never been discouraged. You've never been frustrated. You, you've, you've, you, you've never been down. What has brought you down? I love that cell tone. I think I got one. Let me, where's mine? Oh, mine's fooled around, fell in love. We'll not play that. We want to greet all of our iPod listeners. We thank you for joining us. And if there's anything that Church of the Harvest can do for you, please feel free to follow up on the address, phone number. That's posted there. We're just glad that we can bless you. All of you listening to the CD or watch it by DVD, we speak a special blessing over you and want you to know that you don't have to turn off your cell phone or page or just go ahead and leave it on. You're fine. We're fine with that. Pastor Ron and I were at a funeral at North Cleveland Church of God with Miss Cindy Price, and her cell phone went off, and she ignored it. Remember? Just let it do that. And I'm sitting going, oh, my God. And finally, she digs it out of her purse. I said, I will never sit with her again. But I did. Why are you so sad? What has rocked your world? What has brought you down? He knew it wasn't a woman. He knew it wasn't, it wasn't money or, or necessity of life because he had the very best. Nehemiah took a deep breath and he prayed inside, God help me say the right thing. And he said, my father's grave has become abused. Everything about my home city is trashed. The walls are torn down, the, the gates are destroyed, and it broke my heart. Now watch this. Gail, this kingdom, the Babylonian kingdom, is the kingdom that trashed Jerusalem. It's the kingdom that went and stole all of the artifacts of the temple. It's the kingdom that stole all the children and made them eunuchs and murdered the men and women. This very kingdom that Nehemiah is talking to, the very one that destroyed everything he stood for, he's talking to. Now you talk about favor. And he shares with the king what's going on in his heart and spirit. Timing is everything. When you've been 38 years at a gate unhealed, you have the right to call out for help. When you're sitting in a pool and everybody gets in the water before you, you have a right to get desperate. You cannot stay satisfied with the mundane style of living you're in. There's got to be a break. There's got to be a breakthrough. He's the God of the breakthrough. 
And weeping may endure for a season, but joy comes in the morning. I don't care how long you plan it. That night could only last so long. And tomorrow, I love what little Annie, Annie Oakley says, tomorrow, tomorrow, I love you tomorrow. You're only a day away. You might be a day away from your breakthrough. You might be a day away from that job. You might be a day away from that promotion. And Nehemiah prayed, said, God, help me say the right thing. And, here's, here, and Nehemiah shared with the king what was going on. And the king was actually listening. I love it when people say, you know, how you doing? I say something stupid like, oh, man, I'm intimidated. Oh, great. Me too. Glad you're doing good. You know, uh, what's, you know, what's, what's, um, what's up? What's up? Clouds. Yeah, clouds are up. They're everywhere. Clouds. Oh, great. Me too. I'm doing good too. They don't hear a word you're saying. Can anybody relate? What'd you say? I mean, I mean. I, t- I get teased a lot, but I can. I, I, do it, I do it almost every day. Dad will carry on a full-time conversation with me, and Mom will carry on a full-time conversation, and they're, no, they're not the same. They're both different. And I'm texting the whole time. I'm keeping all three of them going. Now, few people can do that. Most people, they just blow you off. I mean, really, you don't really want to know how I'm feeling. You don't really want to. Do you really? Well, sit down for about 20 minutes, and let me give you a list of what I don't like right now in my life. Can anybody relate? What can I do about it? Nehemiah, what, what, I hate to see you down because when you're down, I'm down. When you're not happy, I'm not happy. What? I mean, you, man, you taste my food. You, you eat the meals with me. You're here. You're, you protect my life. You're, you're depressed. I'm depressed. What, what, what can I do to help you? And he had the ability to do something. And Nehemiah took a bit deep breath and said, If I have found favor... In your sight, let me go to Jerusalem and rebuild the walls. And the king said, not just permission to go, a paid holiday, but I'm going to finance this journey. I'm going to come up with all the money. I'm going to send a guard with you to protect you, to make sure nobody hurts you. I'm going to call the guys in Lebanon, and they're going to cut down the best cedars for the gate, the best cedars for the wall. I'm going to finance you. Why? Because he was consistent in what he did, and he did it well. There's a guy at Cracker Barrel. Courtney will tell you his name in a minute. I always forget his name. Been there 30 years. He has been there 30 years. He busses tables. So all he does, he busts tables. He cleans the tables. He, and every time, pretty much without exception, when I see him, I ask him, what's the next project he's on? This little guy busting tables at minimum wage has touched the world. He saves his money. He goes to Africa, Ethiopia, Libya. I mean, I mean, there's probably not a country he's not been to. And every time he goes, we, Church of the Harvest, we send him $100 to help him with his journey. But I'll tell you what, every day, who's ever been with me that we've addressed the guy in Cracker Barrel? Anybody been with me can relate? It does not matter. He's busting, he's cleaning, he's cleaning up everybody else's stuff they didn't want to eat. He's cleaning it up. And I'll say, and he usually seeks us out, but I'll say, how are you doing? And a big old smile will come on his face every single day for 30 years. Let me tell you something. He could be an angel. You never know. You never know. But it's obvious he's making minimum wage. He's enjoying what he's doing. God's hand, God's favor is upon him. It's not about how much stuff he has. It's the doors and the opportunities to go minister. He works three months to be able to minister three days. How cool is that? 
said, Nehemiah, I'm going to support you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to, I'm going to make this happen. Okay, now let me share with you the point that I need to make. In the sixth chapter, when you step out of your season of Selah and begin to make significant changes in your life, that God is not the last thing on your list, but the first, and it's very easy to do that. It just makes small goals, makes small commitments, makes small lists. Don't come up with a great big thing that you'll never be able to do. Add something to your day that you can do. Well, Pastor, what would you suggest? I would suggest that every day of your life you read a chapter in Proverbs and a chapter in John. Every day, 31 uh, chapters in Proverbs, 31 days of the month. Today, you should have read the 31st chapter, which is about what? Anybody? A godly woman. A godly woman. Just to start. Start doing something. Just, to, just make some little start. And God will change your world. It's amazing how little you can plant and get such a big reward. If you've never been here queen for a day and you see the faces of people that daily they're cussed. Daily they're abused. Some of them daily they're molested. Daily are, are, are hurt and wounded. One day a year. You put a smile on them. It's worth, it's, it's worth the 364 days a year that we pray about it and try to get it ready. Can anybody relate? What are you involved in to put some smile, to put something in someone's life that you made the difference? He goes. He does what God leads him to do. And all hell comes against him. You ever notice when you just do whatever you want to do, it pretty much goes the way you want to go? But then you try to do something extraordinary, or you try to do something special, or you try to do something submitted things of God and obeying the things of God, and everything seems to try to stop you, hinder you. Just me? Am I the only person that that happens, that you try to do the right thing? There's the enemy has gathered against Nehemiah because they don't like what he's doing. And so they begin to threaten him. And they invite him to a place of battle that they are comfortable with. Let me rephrase that. Never place yourself subject to the enemy's strength in your life. In the sixth chapter, they asked Nehemiah to come to the valley of Ono. O-N-O. And that word in the Hebrew means the place of your enemy's strength. Several years ago, and I don't even know where this family is at now, but several years ago, a young man came to me struggling with pornography. So we began to set his daily habit to try to help him. Come to find out every day when he came home from work, he would stop at a particular store and buy a Coke or a Dr. Pepper or whatever it was, and there was a section there of pornography. And every day getting that Coke, he would be tempted to go to the pornography section and look at the pornography. I said, why don't you just go to a store that doesn't sell pornography? Duh. See, there's so many things that we could do to strategically place us in an area where the enemy cannot touch us. 
But if we're not careful, there will there are things that will happen in our life that we will find ourselves in at the enemy's mercy, at the enemy's strength. And he said, I'm not, go, I'm not coming down from this wall. I'm not going to stop working. I'm not going to come to where you're at. I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. No, I will not come to where you want me to come because there is an ambush set up for me. Mike Warnke told me one time that in the jungles of Vietnam that carrying some kind of um, mortar, some kind of mortar, a weapon that fires mortars that weighed 90 pounds, They've been walking all day long, then changed their socks for three days. They were miserable in the jungle, the rain, the mosquitoes, the, the humidity, miserable, miserable. He carried his pack as far as he could carry it, and there seemed to be a real cool place, some trees, some shades, a, a creek, some cool places, and he was tempted to go over there and lay his, lay his pack down and just take a rest and just take a, a sea law, but he said something told him, don't stop doing what you're doing. Stay focused, stay on track. The next day, another regiment came along that same trail, that same path, and some wandered over to where this real cool place was, and there were landmines, and several were killed because they got off the path. See, God knows how to nudge you. God knows how to bump you. God knows how to just a simple reminder, no, I wouldn't touch that. No, I wouldn't go there. No, you probably don't need to listen to that. You probably don't need to look at that. I've been clean 31 years. Drugs, alcohol, tobacco, clean. 31 years. 31 years. However, if tomorrow I have a major pain in my mouth and I go to my dentist and he gives me a prescription, I don't feel it. I give it to Pastor Ronda. She feels it. She follows the directions on the bottle. See, I'm an ex-drug addict. Ex-drug addicts think one every four hours. No, four every hour. Are we, are we talking here? Oh, yeah. No, no I'm a, you don't understand. I'm a drug addict. I need a lot more than you because I'm a drug. It's a guideline. It's safety. It's a place that God has reserved and preserved for me. There are places you don't need to go. There are things you don't need to do. There are things you don't need to see. There are things you don't need to read. There's, there's a place that you can get yourself sequestered with God and walk in safety. Here's the point. They hired professionals to prophesy against them. Four times the word came and said, you're going to crash and burn, thus saith the Lord. On the fifth time, they came with an open letter. How many knows what an open letter is? That's the newspaper media reporting something that they don't get all the facts right, and they don't tell it quite like it is, and then they never come back and make it right. That's a random email that somebody sends you and doesn't sign it, tells you why they don't like you, and all the things you're doing wrong in the kingdom. Nobody's ever got an open letter in their life. Nobody's ever been to a place where you felt like there was an attack coming against you and you didn't know why you were attacked and nobody would, 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 would ante up to say they're the ones that were attacking. Anybody? Anybody relate to that? That's what Nehemiah experienced. And in Nehemiah, the sixth chapter, in the 11th verse, it's very important that you see that two translations of the Bible say this. When Nehemiah was threatened... And was told that he was going to be destroyed. One of his friends said, let's run to the church and let's lock the door. Let's run to the church and let's lock the door. At that time, Everett, there was a place in the temple that regardless of what crime you had committed, you were safe in a certain part of the temple. That was the law. 
If you came outside that temple, you could be killed. And there's a story of a young man that did. But there was, a, there was, there was an escape. There was an easy out. There was a lower road. There was an easier way to go. But Nehemiah says this in Nehemiah 6 and 11. He says this. Am I a man that I should run? Am I a man that I should run? In other words, does it look like that I'm going to become intimidated over what you're saying to me? Does it look like I'm going to bail out on what I know to be true and take the back road and backslide? Does it look like you're going to scare me? Does it look like you're going to intimidate me? Does it look like you're going to get me to throw in the towel, to give up on God, to give up on my ministry, to give up on my integrity? Do I look like that kind of man that's going to run? Can anybody relate to anything in, that, in, in this house today? How many times did the enemy convince you to, get, to throw in the towel, to give up? You're not getting your prayers answered. You're not getting what, everything you want from God. Just, just, just give up. And Nehemiah said, no, I will not give up. And at the end of that chapter, they had completed the wall. They finished the task. The world cheered. God did exactly what God wanted to do because one man was willing to walk in the favor of God. I conclude with Romans 8, 28. Apostle Paul asked the question, who shall separate us? from the love of God. And he begins to list some things that he has gone through. Tribulation, panic, distress, worry, things present, things to come, height, death, angels, creatures, anything. You know what Paul says? Paul says, we're more than conquerors through him that loved us. Seth, we're more than conquerors through him, Gloria, that loved us. What does that mean? What does it mean to be more than a conqueror? I mean, how cool to be a conqueror. How many saw, how many saw Arnold in, in uh, Conan? How many saw Conan? How cool. How many saw Gladiator? How many saw Troy? I mean, I mean, how cool to be the... How many saw the last one we just watched? Heaven, the... That, that one too, the kingdom of heaven. How many saw the kingdom of heaven? I mean, how great was... I mean, just, just to be the guy that holds the sword, Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings fan. I mean, I mean, come on, how cool is that? Mighty Mouse, come on, Mighty Mouse. I mean, Popeye, Spinach, I mean, how cool is that? Seth, you're with me. How cool to be the guy on Heroes that can fly and can do all those things and, and change the destiny. How cool is that? Paul said, I'm not just a conqueror. I'm more than a conqueror. How in the world can you be more than a conqueror? Go with me just for a minute. We're going to have to stretch a little bit, but I think you can stretch with me. I want you to assume with me this morning that Pastor Jason Resto is not a pastor. He's not a top dog at his company. He's a boxer. He's a welterweight. He's not just a welterweight boxer. He's the welterweight boxing champion of America. Lean, mean, slim, trim. Go there with me. 
prophetically we're speaking these things on him he can dance he's got a left hook he's got an uppercut he got the power of the stamina he's Rocky 9 he's Rocky 9 champion of, has defeated every single of his competition Michael Tyson killed him with his breath that's how bad he is he's bad Russia hears about how bad he is the Russian champion has defeated everyone in the world he's knocked everybody down nobody has stood up to him so the country of Russia contacts the country of America and gives us a challenge and said, we challenge your, your welterweight champion to take on our welterweight champion, the purse of a million dollars. million dollars. So Pastor Jason considers it. He thinks about what a million dollars would do for his church and his pastor. That was a cheap shot, wasn't it? So he decides to take a year off and do nothing but train. Man, he jumps rope. He jabs. He gets dead cows and punches them. Everything Rocky does. Everything except the Adrian part. Man, he, he's eating right. He's doing push-ups. He's doing sit-ups. And on that day of days, welterweight champion of America steps into the boxing ring with the welterweight champion of Russia. They pound each other. They smash each other. They knock each other over, around and down. Bruises, blood. I mean, they're going after round after round. A couple times it looks like that Pastor Jason's going down, but he, he remembers and he gets back up and he punches and he pounds and he takes punches. And in the closing seconds of the 15th round, Pastor Jason rallies and he punches the Russian champion right in the jaw, knocks him out, becomes the champion of the world of the world how cool is that he's got his gloves up he's cheering the world is cheering they bring in a check for a million dollars they give it to him the conqueror you see it guess what he does that's the conqueror he gives the check to Diana Diana did nothing she did no jump rope she did no vitamins. She ate no protein. She did no exercising. He did all the work. He got all bloody. He got all beat up. A time or two, it looked like that he was down, but he got back up. But he won. He defeated the, the champion of the world. He's now the champion of the world. He's the conqueror. But he takes the check and gives it to her. That makes her more than a conqueror. Can I tell you, Jesus Christ got in the boxing ring with the God of this world and round after round the enemy tried to discredit him, tried to hurt him, and at Calvary tried to kill him and looked like he knocked him out. But the closing seconds of the third day, he arose from the grave, took back the keys of hell and of death, stands today as the conqueror, the champion of the universe, and says, now you go in my name. You walk in my authority. You're more than a conqueror. Man, I'm tired. There's more. Sometimes it takes seasons. Sometimes it takes battles. Sometimes it takes attacks. And sometimes you feel like you've been sucker punched. No breath left in you. 
sit down and quit. Let me suggest this. Sit down. Take a break. Refocus. Get back up. And start again. I was going to spend some time sharing with you. I have a hundred millionaires' testimonies. How they all went bankrupt. How they all failed. How they all dropped the ball. They didn't stay down. Two men looked through prison bars. One saw mud. The other saw stars. Two men on their wedding day were jilted at the altar. Their bride left them two different weddings. One man went out, committed suicide, lost his life. The other man went out and wrote a somebody done, somebody wrong song, country western song, and sold it to Mel Tillis for $10,000. You decide what determines your tomorrow. Your attitude and what you, what you know about this. People tell you how to dress, how to walk, how to this, how to that. If they ain't been there, done that, they're wasting your time. You surround yourself with people that have scars. You surround yourself with people that are warriors. You surround yourself with people that got that, they're just, they've, they've got that look about them that says this, am I a man that I should run? Am I going to hide under the shadow of the church? Am I going to hide in the shadow of the job? Am I going to comp out and blame my parents or my grandparents because of, because of some failure? No. I will stand my ground. And like Tom Petty, I won't back down. I will not back down. I'm going to stand my ground. Let the storms rage high. The dark clouds rise. They won't worry me for I'm sheltered safe within the arms of God. I'll have no fear when Jesus walks beside me. You know why? Because he takes the brunt and I get the blessing. How cool is that? He, take, he takes the whack and I get the blessing. Every head bowed. Every eyes closed.